This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 2? When we started this thing called Conduit, we never thought we would end up where we are right now. The people here rise to the occasion. We don't cower back, but are a people of action. When there's a crisis, that is when we are at our best. A relevant church may not be essential, but an essential church will always be relevant. Essential means that if you are a church and you are not here next week, that people's lives are literally on the line. When you are saving addicts and freeing slaves, feeding people and serving others, then you become essential. Does the church need to have a mission? Or did Jesus' mission need to have a church? So my Aunt Donna was my grandfather's sister, and she had all of the tact and the charm of an exploding cannon. She had what we referred to as resting sneeze face. Are you familiar with this? It's the look of like right before you're going to sneeze, but you don't actually sneeze, and that was permanently etched on my Aunt Donna's face. She, uh, she was a lovely woman, God rest her soul. <laughs> she did not care for me, she did not care for our family even a little bit, and she, uh, a part of her gainful employment in retirement was working for the local public school where I was uh, attending. And uh, she did various and sundry jobs, one of which was occasionally she was in charge of punching the lunch tickets at school. Did you guys, are anybody old enough to have a ticket when you had to go to school? Now it's like you got to type in the code or something like that. Not in those days. Those days on Monday, you got your card, and then the nice lady or guy would stand there and punch a hole in the ticket. And then when you got to the end of the week, when you're out of holes, you're out of lunches. So my family uh, was a family that qualified for reduced-cost lunches through government programs. Um, I know they still do those, and many, maybe even in this room, have probably experienced that. In those days, what that meant was they gave you a different colored lunch card, I kid you not, so that when you got to the front of the line and they punched the hole, it was almost like, uh, like a price check for a feminine product at Walmart. Like You're just like, oh God, I don't want to know that this is me. I... But they'd punch it because they also gave you a smaller portion, I kid you not, because you were a poor kid. But on this day in particular, when Aunt Donna, with her resting sneeze face, looks at my ticket, and she sort of has this incensed look on her face of complete disgust at her uh, great nephew and the family and the takers that we obviously were, and made some comment about your father being worthless. And, and if you've ever felt sh- like instant shame as a child, it's very warm. I don't know how else to explain it. Just warm. It's embarrassing. It's just like, oh, I just want to crawl under something, like under the goulash. Just hide me somewhere. 
And on that day when Aunt Donna threw that in my face, I was, I think, sixth grade maybe, and I thought, I don't want to do that anymore. So I actually, from then on out for a while, decided I just wasn't going to eat lunch. I would tell my friends I was full, I'd eaten a big breakfast, I had all kinds of great stories. I began to run out of stories, but then I also began to realize, hey, I wonder if I could hustle some lunch for me. So I, uh, on the way to school, there was a little quick trip kind of store. It wasn't quick trip, it was who knows what it was. But I, I realized if I bought a 10-pack of bubble yum for a dollar, which is what it was back then, it's probably $100 now, but back then it was like a dollar. And if I sold each pack at a quarter each, I could double my money and by lunch time, if I did it right, I would have enough money for lunch. I learned about all kinds of things. I learned about inventory control. If you, you know what I mean? You eat too much gum, you're, you're, that didn't work. <laughs> I, now I'm still hungry. But I learned, uh, I learned how to hustle. I learned literally how to be self-reliant. Uh, but what I learned more than any of that was this narrative that became a part of my life, which was you are on your own. Nobody's coming for you. If you're going to figure this out, it's up to you. That was a narrative that landed in my soul, and everybody in this room, some, you've all got some kind of narrative. If it's up to me, it's up to me. If it, whatever that narrative is, but the question, of course, is, is it actually true? Because here, here's what's true. Aunt Donna wasn't coming for Darren, okay? My dad wasn't in a position to come for Darren. My church came for Darren. You see, it, it might have been true here, but the church that Jesus designed to be an essential church is meant to be the safety net that a government will unsuccessfully do, that is meant to be a safety net that if you're five years old, it's not your fault. How can we lock arms together? It, the essential church is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 40. Seven, And if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be there yet again, and I would love to just read it with you. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. And then in verse 42, Five, they sold property, possessions, to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Everything you just read is the safety net that God has designed for us as believers, as human beings on this side of heaven. It's God's word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we encounter your word, we know that your word will be the light that you promised that it would be. And it's my prayer, Lord, that you would inform us and speak to us individually, as well as corporately. Lord, that you would lead us in what it looks like for us to not be a relevant church, but to be 
an essential church. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, in 1981, this little church came to my town named with no sense of irony, Superior, Nebraska. (laughs) There was nothing superior about it, this little hole in the wall. But this church rolls into town. It never grew to more than 80 people. But this little church became my safety net. When I was 16 years old and I met a guy named Ron Luce for the first time on a mission trip, I didn't have any money to go on a mission trip at 16. My church helped me do that. We would have food show up on our porch that we clearly didn't pay for. When it was time for me to go to Bible college, people say, hey, did you go to Bible college? The answer is sometimes. But I did sometimes, and the church helped cover that for me. This little church became the safety net not only for me, but for many people, hundreds of people over the years. That's what God designed it to be. And when I think about that, it wasn't relevant. I mean, you know what I mean by relevant, right? Like, I was just back there back in the early June, and I promise you, That church was many things, and Relevant was not one of them. Three-hour service. I kid you not. And it was not Haitian. There was a moment where somebody stands up for their five-minute song, which 35 minutes later, and we're not even to the sermon yet. Like, we're just getting warmed up. At some point, I am literally rifling, I swear I'm not making this up, the lady sitting next to me, her purse was open, and she had a bunch of Werther's candies in there. So I'm literally stealing Werther candies out of the lady sitting next to me just to give me something to do. It wasn't relevant, but I promise you that it was essential because if that church hadn't been there, I wouldn't be here. And I promise that in an essential church, many of you have a very similar story. And if you don't, my prayer is that conduit could become that story for you as well. When you think about it, what it means literally to be that, we could start with verses 43 44, 45, 46, 47, right? And you'll see, hey, some churches are super devoted to verses 43. The signs and the wonders and the awe and the get super focused and laser in on that. Sometimes those churches have flags. Any flag people in here? Come on, just raise your hand. Let your flag fly. Brett, there you go, Brett, flag guy. By the way, I am not anti or pro-flag, I am flag neutral. Uh, But we don't have flags here. I actually could point you, I think New River, do they still have flags at New River? Like, there are churches that have lovely flags. We're just not flag people. But if if you are focused 100% on just verse 43, it's going to warp and affect and like distract you. You could get really focused on everything in common and helping the poor. There are churches that do that really, really well, and you get focused on that. You get churches that are focused on, uh, actually, verse 43, the Word of God, the apostles' teaching, Bible churches, right? Awesome. Also, very important. But if you just start focusing on those verses, you end up actually focusing on one more than the other, Whereas if you focus devoted on verse 42 to those four things, verses 43 through 47 just happen as a result of that one verse. Am I making sense? 
So if you're devoted to the apostles' teaching here, right, you're devoted to it, you can then also be devoted to fellowship, also devoted to prayer, also devoted to breaking of bread. And when you get those four things in target, it's like the four strings on a bass guitar, unless you're Adam Nitty, and then there's like seven on your bass. But like most normal like earth players or bass players that were made on earth, they usually have four, but Adam somewhere in the ether was created with his thing. But those four together can create the music of verses 43 through 47. Last week, we talked about what it meant to be devoted to teaching, devoted to God's word. This week, we're talking about what it means to be devoted to fellowship. Because fellowship, if we're devoted in the way that that the biblical narrative of fellowship is, it does amazing things, and the results are verses 43, 44, 45, and 46, and 47. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd love you to keep them open to chapter 2. For those of you joining us online, Chris and Jennifer Orton, yeah, I don't know if you know this, but Chris and Jen, they are fighting the Rona today. They are young, in shape, and they're going to like, literally rip the arm off of COVID and beat it with a bloody stump. Like They are taking it. But we do pray right now, Lord, that you are healing them right where they are. And Brian Redman, if you're watching right now from your hotel, hotel room, from your Vanderbilt room, Lord, you're going to give them a new heart this week at Vanderbilt. I pray that those doctors are all over that, that you give peace to them. For Bonnie, who I know is watching in Colorado, Lord, that you would be with her as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And for if you are at home, get your Bibles out too, because we want you to follow along with what it looks like for you to be devoted to what is essential, because if you're devoted to what is essential, you become essential. Devoted first to fellowship creates awe and wonder. Time to go home. (laughs) How is it when you see that, what is it about fellowship that creates that sense of awe, that creates that sense of wonder, that creates quite candidly a sense of the miraculous? How many of you have got more than one kid? How many of you got like multiple kids? Okay. Ballpark me, how many times a year do all, let's say I got four, all of them come in the same room at the same time asking for the same thing? Once a year? Once a decade. But let me tell you what, when it happens, it gets your attention, doesn't it? Like, I will see the dumbest movie if all my kids want to see it. We will go to the lamest place if all my kids come together and say, can we do this together? Because they disagree on so much that when they come together and say, I want this, I'm all ears to that. Matthew 18, verse 19, Jesus says, if any two or more of you come together asking, agreeing, right, Father, I just think there's something about the heart of God that when you ask him together, agreeing with all of his kids, it just gets his attention in a way that is so specific and so unique that it moves his heart. So when you're devoted to fellowship, and by the way, most of the churches that you see, you ask, man, why don't we see a lot of the miraculous in our world? When you get to churches in places like Nepal or Pakistan, they don't have a lot of things distracting them and dividing them. There's not a lot of war on Twitter in Pakistan over masks. 
They're just not. There's a lot of, hey, we're coming together and trying to stay alive as Jesus' people. Not that any of these important mask mirrors are not, are not important, but they got some things going on right now called just staying alive, and it unifies them in a way that we don't necessarily experience in our world. And if there's anything that the enemy has done in our culture in this last year is masterfully divide us over issues that have wedged and divided and will you come together in fellowship around Jesus and around the gospel and about like what matters? God just moves and does amazing things. Another element of this that's really fascinating to me is that when he says in Mark 16 that these signs will follow those who believe. As you are going into all the world, these signs are going to follow those who believe. It speaks of a fellowship of us doing something together on mission together. Now, here a lot we go, these Jesus people will follow those signs Guy comes through town, he goes to the arena, we buy tickets, he throws his coat at you, and we all get to go home and had a good time that night. That's the exact opposite of the way that the Bible says that if you're going to see God move and do amazing things, is supposed to happen. When you go, by the way, Mark and Victoria, who were just here a couple weeks ago, they're on their way right now to Asia. He is going to stand in front of 100,000 Muslims, and he's going to say, Jesus is Lord, Allah is not. They're going to be in this little small group. Someone's going to get out of a wheelchair. These blind eyes are going to open. These deaf ears are going to pop open, and a whole bunch of Muslims are going to say, Jesus is Lord, and Allah is not in the fellowship of that. And why do I use the word fellowship in that? How many Lord of the Rings fans are in here this morning? Okay, I'm asking that because I'm gonna kill the narrative and I'm gonna get it wrong. Just know, don't send me the email. I know I'm not gonna get it right. Just, I'm trying, okay, I'm trying. But Lord of the Rings, first book is Fellowship of the Ring. Did I at least get that right? Oh, it's like the fourth book, Darren. No, the Fellowship of the Ring are the nine people gathered around to get this ring into Mount Doom and to destroy it, okay? Nine of them. And it's called the Fellowship of the Ring because that word is very specifically accurate in that it was a mission where these nine people came together to accomplish it together. And when that happens, you are locked into unity the stuff that doesn't matter as much starts to fall away because we are now focused specifically on what does matter. And for them, it was destroying this ring. And as a believer, as a group of Jesus people coming together, focused on what matters, the gospel, going into all the nations, making disciples of all men, the mission that Jesus gave us, I love the way that Leonard Ravenhill said it when he said that, look, Jesus didn't just come here to make bad men good. He came to make dead men alive. And the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, inside of a fellowship of believers, unified around a cause, he's going to do amazing things. And signs and wonders happen, and we will be in awe and wonder. And it was born not because we were focused on the signs and the wonders, but because we're focused on the fellowship, and God just does amazing things. And it's not just that. He also puts inside of us this thing that just happens. It's generosity. 
It happens all the time when you're in fellowship. It says in verse 44 that all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property, possessions to give to anyone who had need. If you listen to a good, solid liberal, I was just listening to Joe Rogan have a conversation with one of his fellow liberals. And look, they all identify the same problem, which is that there are problems with people that need help financially. My family was one of those families. Your family might be too. And what they say is that on the one hand, if we're just putting all of our in the government fixing it, that's called socialism. Socialism is when the government comes and says, you have to, I'm taking your stuff and I'm now giving it to their stuff. And I promise you that's been tried, it don't work. And on the other hand, un, like unfettered capitalism without any restraints at all gives you Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos, who owns the Washington Post, which spent the last year scaring the crap out of everyone with like, fear porn headlines, scaring us all, while simultaneously saying, oh, and by the way, while you're home, you can order from Amazon.com. Right? That, that's not helpful either. This is God's response, koinonia, fellowship, the church coming together. It might help you to know what the word fellowship actually means in the original Greek. Anybody, anybody old enough to remember the Jesus movement? Back in, the, back in the 70s and 80s, almost every Christian coffee shop in the world was called koinonia, right? We even had Christian bands named koinonia, like the whole thing was koinonia especially if you're in California. That's the Greek word that's being translated there as fellowship. It means association. It means community, communion, joint participation, and yes, even intercourse. Cover your ears, children. A few years ago when uh, Pastor Gerald LaFleur was in here and we were talking about the idea, actually was the conversation was because about uh, the amount of children being born in, in Haiti and we were building homes back after the earthquake and we were building homes with more than one room. And the reason was, his theory was, mom, dad, kids, everybody sleeping uh, in the same room and clearly mom and dad were you know, doing their business uh, because more babies kept happening. And he's thinking, well, if, if the kids are in the room while mom and dad are doing their business, maybe that's part of what we need to get them in the different rooms so that kids don't just think it's just like a normal thing like having breakfast. And so, so we built separate rooms for it. But as he was explaining this in our Sunday morning setting, he goes, you know, because when the parents are doing the, uh, you know, uh, the fellowship, do you know what I mean when I say fellowship? I'm like, oh, we know, buddy. And that is why we are no longer calling that the fellowship hall because we are not that kind of church. <laughs> I, hear, I hear those churches are out there, but we're not one of them. So that's, he was joking, but he was so much more close to the definition of fellowship than what most American Christians consider fellowship. Because it was never meant to be just hanging out in an accountability group and checking in every once in a while. It was deep and intimate, and that is what it meant for us in a Jesus setting. This past week, I found myself in uh, Wyoming. I got a phone call on Friday from my friend Brian, and it said, hey, if you can get to Wyoming by Monday, somebody canceled on the trip, you can come fly fishing. All you gotta do is get here, and the rest of it's paid for. What is the answer to that question? 
I mean, I'm like, I'm like Shannon, hey, I just agreed to do this, so I really hope this is okay, but I... The, the answer is yes, 100% yes. And I met a, a lot of amazing guys, but one of the guys I met was a guy named Jeff Smith. Does anybody know who Jeff Smith is? I don't know, maybe Brian, he's run across your radar screen, Generosity New York. Check out this job. I didn't even know this was a job. His job is hanging out with rich people in New York and convincing them that being generous with your wealth is a good thing. It gives you joy. It gives you purpose and meaning. And so he creates events, I kid you not, where he brings these guys together, invites them in to do very fun and entertaining things, one of which, again, didn't know this was a job. Bassanio, you and I, if we don't do this before we die, it is a huge miss in a helicopter in Texas, shooting wild hogs out of the helicopter. You know this is a thing? Of course you knew that. You've probably done it with a bow. Yeah. So I didn't know it was an option, but I guess you have to be pretty rich to do it, so I'm not getting the invite. But you shoot helicopter hogs out of a helicopter, Martin, and you just, he's like, it's like carnage. They're, surviving, like they're literally saving Texas from the hogs. He gets them there to have fun. But while he's got them in the room, then they start talking about this specific cause, whether it's rescuing children from sex trafficking or rescuing slaves or whatever. And he's, that's his whole job is to get them in the room and then to bait and switch it a little bit to say, and while you're here, and he said, it's, look, it's not just about getting them to write a check. It's not about just getting them to donate like it's your, because you know how those donator things are. Like, look, I'll, I'll send you $500 if I don't have to go to the thing. Just let me stay home and I'll still send you the check. This was about getting them there, but then to also create a community around it. And this is what Jeff told me that he does for a living. I serve executive loneliness. It just happens that generosity is on the door. In essence, when people serve together and give together, they find more joy in the fellowship and friendship than the gift. And the cool part is that their soul is touched by the giving and resulting impact. And I said, Jeff, you just described a church. That's what we're called to do. And when we come together in fellowship, and we begin to help those around us. It is a cure for an answer to loneliness because it is not just about writing a check. It is about giving of your soul to somebody else, working together to solve this together as Jesus people. And here's why I know it's biblical. Romans 15 verse 26, write it down and go later. Paul says to the people, hey, we're sending money to help the Jews in uh, Rome that are suffering in Jerusalem. They're suffering. We want to help them. And he says, you're going to, we're going to send the offering. That's the word, the contribution. We're going to send the contribution to them. And it's going to well up with praise in their hearts. But the word contribution that he uses there is the word koinonia. Again, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 13, he says to them, I'm going to send this gift to the saints who are suffering, who are in pain and in need, and the word for contribution is not offering, it's koinonia. It's so much different, so much deeper than writing a check. If you're wealthy, writing a check is easy. That's not what fellowship is. Fellowship is in the trenches together, locking arms, creating the safety net for each other the way that my church did for me. 
And I'll take it one step further. I'm blowing through this book by Sebastian Junger one more time. It's a book called Tribe. The guy is a secular humanist. He is not a Jesus person. But if you change the word evolved and put in designed for, this guy is reverse engineering the way that God created us. And he talks about that what's happening in most American life right now is that we are wealthy enough, even in our county, to be so isolated that it's destroying us. That the way that we're designed to live together, to rely on each other in, in, a, in a church, is not happening. And so we are, in fact, one of the quotes from his book that has just brought me chills, it may be worth considering whether middle-class American life for all its material good fortune has lost some essential sense of unity that might otherwise discourage alienated men from turning apocalyptically violent. Us trying to solve school shootings with medication is not going to work. It will, it's a band-aid, but the problem is profound and cosmic loneliness. He goes on to talk about how in a military setting, when men come home from military, that the amount of PTSD in the United States right now is getting close to 20, 25%. It's higher than any other country in the world. Israel's is 1%. And here's what sociologists, psychologists are beginning to say. It's not the war that's causing it, it's the coming home that's causing it. Because they were in a place where they were united around a cause and around a mission, and they came home to a place where they didn't matter anymore. You see, in the God's kingdom, in the church, you matter. Jesus said it, you matter. And in the essential church, we all matter. We all have the place. And the third thing that it does for us is it brings to us this sense of gratitude. You know, this whole attitude of gratitude, all that, yeah, that's, that's great. But if you focus on fellowship, if you're devoted to just trying to make yourself feel grateful, you can do that for a little bit. But if you're devoted to fellowship, you're devoted to relationship where you don't quit on each other, devoted to relationship where we're locking arms with each other. In my world, when groceries would show up on my porch as a kid, my heart, what does it say it happened here? They continued to meet, they broke bread in their homes, praising God, they had glad and sincere hearts, enjoying the favor of all the people. There was so much gratitude in our home when we received, but let me tell you, there's also gratitude for those who are giving. In 2 Corinthians 9 that I just told you about, not only does he talk about you know, giving and it's the, the fellowship, it's 2 Corinthians 7, 8 where he says, and God loves a what? Cheerful giver. See, for years in a church world, we made you hold your offering envelope up. Anybody ever have to do this? You go to that church, hold your offering envelope. It's offering time. Everybody get fired up for the offering. Remember, Scotty? Like, but, I, but I wasn't that excited about it. Like, oh, that's not very exciting. Why do I feel like the jerk? I'm not excited. That verse was specifically talking about helping the saints in Jerusalem who were poor and who were suffering. And let me tell you what, when you're able to help somebody else, your heart swells with gratitude. In those early days of Haiti, I used to get angry at LaFleur because he would pass an offering bucket, and I was like, I can't even believe we're doing this. 
these people need this and these people need that, these people. And he got in my face, which he is known to have done. He's a Haitian. He said, Darren, if we don't allow them and invite them and teach them to give, they will forever remain in a position where they feel entitled and they will never break that cycle. That, my friends, our government programs here are a blessing. They have gotten many of us out of many tight situations, but they will not save you because they do not put you in a position for you to now to give back. When you give back, even if it's a little bit, it breaks the cycle of entitlement in your heart. I've seen it in Haiti. I've seen it in me. And that's what this fellowship is. It's somebody can give a lot, somebody can give a little, but we can all give something, and together we're breaking the cycle of entitlement together, and together we create the safety net for our community together. I want to say one last thing, because everything I just said to you, devoted to this, devoted to that, devoted to this, devoted to that, could once again become 100% exactly like just one more religion. But let me tell you, the only reason that we do this, that we can do this, the difference between us and some nonprofit Red Cross, the difference between us and some uh, communist socialist government is the power of the gospel. And here's what I mean. What does Philippians tell us? Philippians 3.10. It talks about us joining Christ in the, that I may know him, verse 10, that I may, the power of his resurrection, and listen, and the, quote, fellowship of his sufferings. There are many verses in the New Testament that say that you and I, all who were godly in Christ Jesus, we're gonna suffer persecution. Many verses that say that we may end up suffering while we're a Christian. That's not this verse. This verse says I'm joining him in the fellowship of his suffering. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, or Romans 15. Fellowship was something that was sent to someone else as a gift to save them. His suffering was sent to us as a fellowship to save us. This is not us, because it says that I might then attain the resurrection of the dead. That is not because I'm suffering, that is because he suffered. And when I join him in the suffering, of his, like the fellowship of his suffering, his koinonia toward me, that is how I am saved. Not by me suffering, but because he suffered. He became cosmically lonely, cosmically rejected. God, why have you forsaken me? So that now I can be cosmically reunited with our Father. He became universally broke. He became poor so that we might become rich, that we might enjoy the fellowship of his suffering, not to suffer, but because he did. He turned his back, his back, God was turned his back on him so that now he doesn't turn his back on us. You guys, that's the gospel. And if we do this out of work and out of religion, then we will burn ourselves out. We will burn ourselves down. Galatians 6 says we will become weary in well-doing. But if I receive the fellowship of his suffering, then out of that inspires and bubbles up inside of me. The only response to that is to now offer my fellowship to you, to offer my fellowship to him. Does this make sense? I'm gonna ask you to do one thing and we're gonna pray. I'm gonna give you something very, very practical that we have an opportunity to help. Uganda this week is locked down tighter than a frog's butt. 
ain't nothing getting out. I got your attention now. If you're offended by that, it's mo at conduitchurch.com. But I'd rather that you be more offended that children are starving to death right now because of ridiculous COVID restrictions. 589 people have died in this entire country of 10 million people, and they are locking it down. We're getting emails right now from our friends. We're, we're desperate. We're hungry. Can you help us? And what am I going to tell them? The answer is yes. We're not going to help them like Aunt Donna with a face of shame. We're going to help them like Jesus, and we're going to send our fellowship to them. For 25 cents, you can buy lunch for one child. You don't even have to go sell bubble yum for that. That means anybody who feels led can help these kids. We're gonna, whatever money comes in today, we're already at like $8,000 from first service. Whatever comes in today, that's what, 24,000 meals. Whatever money comes in today, we're wiring it tomorrow. And by Tuesday, guess who's gonna be distributing it? A bunch of churches in Uganda because the church that Jesus designed, the essential church, is the hope of the world. Whatever the Lord puts on your mind, if you want to donate here, you can also, I'm going to make it easy. Mo made this super easy for us. None of you are going to know how to spell koinonia. So if you just type coin, not for Bitcoin, but for, you know, well, maybe, but K-O-I-N to this number, we'll just send you a link and you have an opportunity there to help. One dollar, if everybody just gave one dollar, you feed four kids. That's remarkable. We're gonna do that by Tuesday. They're desperate, they're dying right now. There is no refrigerator in their homes. There is no grocery stores open for them. There's no jobs, and they've got a government that gives a crap about it. We have the opportunity to be a safety net for them. We're gonna send our koinonia to them. Right now, Kelly, our friend Isaac, made it through before the lockdown, and by the way, you don't even know this, but like $4,500 went with Isaac. Last week, he's over there under the radar passing out food already from what you did. Okay, we're, not, we're gonna keep doing it because what they're gonna do is exactly what the Bible says. They're going to see your good works and they're gonna glorify God in heaven. Prayerfully consider doing that. The second thing is this. If you are new here and you've not been a part of some kind of a small group setting where it's not, look, small group, we're gonna come together. When you've got a crisis hitting your life, Having a group in place already that's locked arms with you is exactly what you want. We've seen it twice in just this week when a crisis has hit a family and their group has locked arms. Brian Redmond, sitting in his hospital bed in Vanderbilt has told me, I am so grateful for my church who has loved me through this. Don't wait till the crisis hits proactively consider doing that right now. So text this, you're gonna get two links. One is the opportunity to look uh, at how you could join in and James will get in touch with you. And the other is how you can help people in Uganda. And then the third thing I'm gonna ask you to do is stand to your feet and I wanna pray for you. Next week, we're gonna talk about breaking of bread. I'm gonna show you how this little simple thing called communion that we do every week results in verses 43 through 47. So come prepared for that. Uh, I want to pray for you. For those of you that are going to be part of our Connect event, it's going to be right outside this door. I'm sorry that it was sold out, but we will do it again. If you didn't get signed up, we want to do this again uh, very soon. We've got a building to do it in now. So Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the chance in this room, Lord. You have blessed us 
literally everybody in this room probably could do at least a dollar to buy four kids a meal by Tuesday. What a blessing that we are in this country and get to do that here. And for those of us in our own setting, in our own world, Lord, that there might be somebody in this room right now that doesn't have a dollar, doesn't even know where rent is coming from. Lord, I pray that you will show us how to help and to love and to bless them as well because that is what makes a church essential. It is not the good vibes that break the yoke. It is the anointing. And we pray that that is falling on our church in our world. In Jesus' name, amen.